The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, continuing the story of The Hobbit. Chapter 1. A Long-Expected Party When Mr. Bobo Baggins of Bag End announced that he would shortly be celebrating his 11th birthday with a party of special magnificence, there was much talk and excitement in Hobbiton. Bilbo was a very rich and very peculiar, and had been the wonder of the Shire for 60 years, ever since his remarkable disappearance and unexpected return. The riches he had brought back from his travels had now become a local legend, and it was popular, popularly believed, whatever the old folk might say, that the hill at Bag End was full of tunnels stuffed with treasure. And it was not enough for fame, there was also his prolonged vigor to marvel at. Time wore on, but it seemed to have little effect on Mr. Baggins. At 90, he was much the same as 50. At 99, they began, they began to call him well-preserved, but unchanged, would have been nearer the mark. There were some that shook their heads and thought this was too much of a good thing. It seemed unfair that anyone should possess, apparently, perpetual youth as well as repeatedly inexhaustible wealth. It will have to be paid for, they said. It is unnatural, and trouble will come of it. But so far, trouble had not come, and as Mr. Baggins was generous with his money, most people were willing to forgive him his oddities and his good fortune. He remained on visiting terms with his relatives, except, of course, the sackful Bagginses, and he had many devoted admirers among the hobbits of poor and unimportant families, but he had no close friends until some of his younger cousins began to grow up. The eldest of these, in Bilbo's favor, was young Frodo Baggins. When Bilbo was 99, he adopted Frodo as his heir and brought him to live at Back End, in the hopes that the sackful Bagginses were finally dashed. Bilbo and Frodo happened, happened to have the same birthday, September 22nd. You had better come and live here, Frodo, my lad, said Bilbo one day, and then we can celebrate our birthday parties comfortably together. At that time, Frodo was still in his tweens, as the hobbits called the irresponsible twenties between childhood and coming of age at thirty-three. Twelve more years passed. Each year the Bagginses had given very lively combined birthday parties at Bag End, but now it was understood that something quite exceptional was being planned for that autumn. Bilbo was going to be eleven-one, one-one-one, a rather curious number and a very respectable age for a hobbit. The old took himself had only reached one thirty, and Frodo was going to be thirty-three, three-three, an important number, the date of his coming of age. Tongues began to wag in Hobbiton and Bywater, and rumor of the coming event traveled all over the Shire. The history and character of Mr. Bobo Baggins became once again the chief topic of conversation, and the older folks suddenly found their reminiscences in welcome demand. No one had a more attentive audience than the old ham Gamgee, commonly known as the Gaffer. He had forth the I, 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 he had forth at the Ivy Bush, a small inn on the Bywater Road, and he spoke with some authority, for he attended the garden at Bag End for forty years, and had helped old Holman in the same job before that. Now that he was himself growing old and stiff in the joints, the job was mainly carried on by his youngest son, Sam Gamgee. Both father and son were on very friendly terms with Bilbo and Frodo. They lived on the hill itself, in number three Bagshot Road, just below Bag End. A very well-spoken, gentle hobby is Mr. Bilbo, as I've always said, the gaffer declared. With perfect truth, for Bilbo was very polite to him, calling him Master Hamfast, 
and consulting him constantly upon the growing of vegetables in the matter of roots especially potatoes the gaffer was recognized as the leading authority by all in the neighborhood including himself but what about this frodo that lives with him asked old noakes by of bywater baggins is his name but he's more than but he's more than half a brandy buck they say it beats me why any baggins of hobbiton should go looking for a wife away there in buckland where folks are so queer and no wonder they're queer put in daddy twofoot the gaffer's next-door neighbor if they live on the wrong side of the brandywine river and right again the old forest there's a dark bad place if half the tales be true you're right dad said the gaffer not that the brandy bucks of buckland live in the old forest but they're a queer breed seemingly the fool about they fool about with boats on that big river and that isn't natural some wonder that trouble came of it i say but be that as me but be that as it may mr frodo is as nice a young hobbit as you could wish to meet very much like mr bilbo and in more than looks after all his father was a baggins a decent respectable hobbit was mr drogo baggins there was never much to tell of him till he was drowned drowned said several voices they had heard this and other darker rumors before of course but hobbits have a passion for family history and they were ready to hear it again well so they say said the gaffer you see mr drogo he married poor miss primula brandybuck she was our mr bilbo's first cousin on the mother's side her mother being the youngest of the old took's granddaughters and mr drogo was his second cousin so mr frodo is his first and second cousin once removed either way as the saying is if you follow me and mr drogo was staying at brandy hall with his father-in-law old master old master gorbadoc as he often did after his marriage him being partial to his vittles and old gorbadoc keeping a mighty generous table and he went out boating on the brandywine river and he and his wife were drowned and poor mr frodo only a child and all i've heard they went on the water after dinner in the moonlight said old noakes and it was drogo's weight as sunk the boat and i heard she pushed him in and he pulled her in after him said sandy man the hobbiton miller you shouldn't listen to all you hear sandy man said the gaffer who did not much like the miller there isn't no call to go talking of pushing and pulling boats are quite tricky enough for those that sit still without looking further for the cause of trouble anyway there was this mr frodo left an orphan and stranded as you might say among those queer bucklanders being brought up anyhow in brandy hall a regular warren by all accounts old mr gorbodoc never had fewer than a couple hun couple of hundred relations in the place mr bilbo never did a kinder deed than when he brought the lad back to live among decent folk but i reckon it was a nasty knock for those sackville bagginses they thought they were going to get bag end that time when he went off and th was thought to be dead and then he comes back and orders them off and he goes on living and living and never looking a day older bless him and suddenly he produces an heir and has all the papers made out proper the sackful bagginses will never see the inside of baggin now or it is hoped to be or it is to be hoped not there's a tidy bit of money tucked away up there i hear tell said a stranger a visitor on business from michael delving in the west farthing 
All the top of your hill is full of tunnels packed with chests of gold and silver and jewels, by what I've heard. Then you've heard more than I can speak to, answered the gaffer. I know nothing about jewels. Mr. Bilbo is free with his money, and there seems no lack of it, but I know of no tunnel-making. I saw Mr. Bilbo when he came back, a matter of sixty years ago, when I was a lad. I do, I had not long come prentice to old Holdman, him being my dad's cousin, but he had me up at Bag End, helping him to keep folks from trampling and trespassing all over the garden while the sale was on. And in the middle of it all, Mr. Bilbo comes up the hill with a pony and some mighty big bags and a couple of chests. I don't doubt they were mostly full of treasure he had picked up in foreign parts, where there be fountains of gold, they say, but there wasn't enough to fill tunnels. But my lad Sam will know more about that. He's in and out of Bag End, crazy about stories of the old days, he is, and he listens to all Mr. Bilbo's tales. Mr. Bilbo has learned him his letters, meaning no harm, mark you, and I hope no harm will come of it. Elves and dragons, I say to him. Cabbages and potatoes are better for me and you. Don't go get, get don't go getting mixed up in the business of your betters, or you'll land in trouble too big for you, I say to him. And I might say it to others, he added with a look at the stranger and the miller. But the gaffer did not convince his audience. The legend of Bilbo's wealth was now too firmly fixed in the minds of the younger generation of hobbits. Ah, but he has likely enough to likely enough been adding to what he brought at first argued the miller voicing common opinion his he's often away from home and look at the outlandish folk that visit him dwarfs come at coming at night and that old wandering conjurer gandalf and all you can say what you like gaffer but bag ends a, but bag ends a queer place and its folks are queerer and you can say what you like about what you know no more of what you do of boating, Mr. Sandyman, retorted the gaffer, disliking the miller even more than usual. If that's being queer, then we could do with a bit more queerness in these parts. There's some not far away that would offer a pint of beer to a friend if they lived in a hole with golden walls. But they do things proper at Bag End. Our Sam says that everyone's going to be invited to the party, and there's going to be presents, mark you, presents for all, this very month as is. That very month was September, and as fine as you could ask. A day or two later, a rumor, probably started by the knowledgeable Sam, was spread about that there were going to be fireworks. Fireworks, what is more, such, ha such as had not been seen in the Shire for nigh on a century, not indeed since the old Took died. Days passed, and the day drew near. An odd-looking wagon laden with odd-looking packages rolled into Hobbiton one evening and toiled, toiled up the hill to Bag End. The startled hobbits peered out of lamplight, doors to gape at it. It was driven by outlandish folks singing strange songs, dwarfs with long beards and deep hoods. A few of them remained at Bag End. At the end of the second week in September, a cart came in through Bywater from the direction of Brandywine Bridge in broad daylight. An old man was driving it all alone. He wore a tall-pointed blue hat, a long gray cloak, and a silver scarf. He had a long white beard and bushy eyebrows that stuck out beyond the brim of his hat. Small hobbit children ran after the cart all through Hobbiton and right up the hill. It had a cargo of fireworks, as they rightly guessed. 
At Bilbo's front door, the old men began to unload. There were great bundles of fireworks of all sorts and shapes, each labeled with a large G in the elf room. There, That was Gandalf's mark, of course, and the old man was Gandalf the wizard, whose fame in the Shire was due mainly to a scale with fire, smokes, and lights. His real business was far more difficult and dangerous, but the Shire folk knew nothing about it. To them, he was just one of the attractions at the party, hence the excitement of the Hobbit children. G is for grand, they shouted, and the old man smiled. They knew him by sight, though he only appeared in Hobbiton occasionally and never stopped long. But neither they, but neither they nor any but the oldest of their elders had seen one of his firework displays. They now belonged to a legendary past. When the old man helped by Bilbo and some dwarves had finished unloading, Bilbo gave a few pony, pennies away, but not a single squib or cracker was forthcoming to the disappointment of the onlookers. Run away now, said Gandalf. You will get plenty when the time comes. And he disappeared inside with Bilbo, and the door was shut. The young hobbit stood at the door in vain for a while, and then made off, feeling that the day of the party would never come. Inside Bag End, Bilbo and Gandalf were sitting at the open window of a small room looking out west onto the garden. The late afternoon was bright and peaceful. The flowers glowed red and golden, snapdragons and sunflowers, and nasturtiums trailing all over the turf walls and peeping in at the round windows. How bright your garden looks, said Gandalf. Yes, said Bilbo. I'm very fond indeed of it, and for and of and of all the dear old Shire, but I think I need a holiday. You mean to go up with your plan then? I do. I made up my mind months ago, and I haven't changed it. Very well. It is no good saying any more. Stick to your plan, your whole plan, mind, and I hope it will turn out for the best for you and for all of us. I hope so anyway. I mean to enjoy myself on Thursday and have my little joke. Who will laugh, I wonder, said Gandalf, shaking his head. We shall see, said Bilbo. The next day, more carts rolled up the hill, and still more carts. There might have been some grumbling about dealing locally, but that very week orders began to pour out of bag in for every kind of provision, commodity, or luxury that could be obtained in Hobbiton or Bywater or anywhere in the neighborhood. People became enthusiastic and they began to take off the days on the calendar and they were wa- and they watched eagerly for the postman, hoping for invitations. Before long the invitations began pouring out and the Hobbiton post office was blocked, and the Bywater post office was snowed under, and voluntary assistant postmen were called for. There was a constant stream of them going up the hill, carrying hundreds of polite variations of thank you, I shall certainly come. A notice appeared on the gate at Bag End, no admittance except on party business. Even those who had or pretended to have party business were seldom allowed inside. Bilbo was busy, writing invitations, taking off answers, packing up presents, and making some private preparations of his own. From the time of Gandalf's arrival, he remained hidden from view. One morning, the hobbits woke to the large field south of Bilbo's front door, covered with ropes and poles for tents and pavilions. A A special entrance was cut into the bank leading to the road, and wide steps and a large white gate were built there.
the three hobbit families of bagshot row adjoining the field were intensely interested and generally envied old gaffer gamgee stopped even pretending to work in his garden the tents began to go up there was a specially large pavilion so big that the tree that grew in the field was right inside it and stood proudly near one end at the head of the chief table lanterns were hung on all its branches more promising still to the hobbit's mind an enormous open-air kitchen was erected in the north corner of the field a draw of cooks from every inn and eating house for miles arrived for miles around arrived to supplement the dwarves and other odd folk that were quartered at bag end excitement rose to its height then the weather clouded over that was on wednesday the eve of the party anxiety was intense then thursday september the twenty-second actually dawned the sun got up the clouds vanished flags were unfurled and the fun began bobo baggins called it a party but it was really a variety of entertainments rolled into one practically everybody living near was invited a very few were overlooked by accident but as they turned up all the same that did not matter many people from other parts of the shire were also asked and they were even a few from outside the borders bobo met the guests and additions at the new white gate in person he gave away presents to all and sundry the latter were those who went out again by a back way and came in again by the gate hobbits give presents to other people on their own birthdays not very expensive ones as a rule and not so lavishly as on this occasion but it was not a bad system actually in hobbiton and by water every day in the year was somebody's birthday so that every hobbit in those parts had a fair chance of at least one present at least once a week but they never got tired of them on this occasion the presents were unusually good the hobbit children were so excited that for a while they almost forgot about eating there were toys the like of which they had never seen before all beautiful and some obviously magical many of them had indeed been ordered a year before and had come all the way from the mountain and from dale and were of real dwarf make when every guest had been welcomed and was finally inside the gate there were songs dances music games and of course food and drink there were three official meals lunch tea and dinner or supper but lunch and tea were marked chiefly by the fact that at those times all the guests were sitting down and eating together at other times they were there were merely lots of people eating and drinking continuously from elvins's until six thirty when the firewalk fireworks started the fireworks were by gandalf they were not only brought by him but but designed and made by him and the special effects set pieces and flights of rockets were let off by him but there was also a generous distribution of squibs crackers back wrappers sparklers torches dwarf candles elf fountains goblin barkers and thunderclaps they were all superb the art of gandalf improved with age there were rockets like a flight of scintillating birds singing with sweet voices there were green trees with trunks of dark smoke their leaves opened like a whole spring of unfolding in a moment and their shining branches dropped glowing flowers down upon the astonished hobbits disappearing with a sweet scent just before they touched their upturned faces 
There were fountains of butterflies that flew glittering into the trees. There were pillars of colored fires that rose and turned into eagles or sailing ships or a phalanx of flying swans. There was a red thunderstorm and a shower of yellow rain. There was a forest of silver spears that sprang suddenly into the air with a yell like an embattled army and came down again into the water with a hiss like a hundred hot snakes. And there was one last surprise, in honor of Bilbo, and it startled the hobbits exceedingly, as Gandalf intended. The lights went out, a great smoke went up. It shaped itself like a mountain seen in the distance and began to glow at the summit. It spouted green and scarlet flames, out flew a red golden dragon, not life-size, but terribly lifelike. Fire came from his jaws, I, his eyes glared down. There was a roar, and he whizzed three times over the heads of the crowd. They all ducked, and many fell flat on their faces. The dragon passed like an express train, turned over, turned a somersault, and burst over by water with a deafening explosion. That is the signal for supper, said Bilbo. The pain and alarm vanished at once, and the prostrate hobbits leaped to their feet. There was a splendid supper for everyone, for everyone that is, except those in, except those invited to the special family dinner party. This was held in the great pavilion with the tree. The invitations were limited to twelve dozen, a number also called by the hobbits one gross, though the word was not considered proper to use of people. And the guests were selected from all the families to which Bilbo and Frodo were related, with the addition of a few special unrelated friends, such as Gandalf. Many young hobbits were included and present by parental permission, for hobbits were easy going with their children in the matter of sitting up late, especially when there was a chance of getting them a free meal. Bringing up young hobbits took a lot of provender. There were many bagginses and boffins, and also many tucks and brandy books. There were various scrubs, relations of Bilbo Baggins' grandmother, and various chubs, connections of took grandfather and a selection of burroughses, bulgers, brace girdlers, brock houses, good bodies, horn blowers, and proudfoots. Some of these were only very distantly connected with Bilbo, and some had hardly ever been in Hobbiton before, as they lived in remote corners of the Shire. The Sackville Bagginses were not forgotten. Although Otho and his wife, Phobelia, were present, they disliked Bilbo and detested Frodo, but so magnificent was the invitation card written in golden ink that they had felt it was impossible to refuse. Besides, their cousin Bilbo had been specializing in food for many years, and his table had a high reputation. All the 144 guests expected a pleasant feast, though they rather dreaded the after-dinner speech of their host, an inevitable item. He was liable to drag in bits of what he called poetry, and sometimes, after a glass or two, would allude to the absurd adventures of the, his mysterious journey. The guests were not disappointed. They had very pleasant feast, in effect, in, in engrossing entertainment, rich, abundant, varied, and prolonged. The purchase of provisions fell almost to nothing throughout the district in the ensuing weeks. But as Bilbo's catering had depleted the stocks of most of the stores, cellars, and warehouses for miles around, that did not matter much. After the feast, more or less, came the speech. Most of the company were, however, now in a tolerant mood at that delightful stage which they called filling up the corners. 
They were sipping their favorite drinks and nibbling at their favorite dainties, and their fears were forgotten. They were prepared to listen to anything and to cheer at every full stop. My dear people, began Bilbo, rising in his place. Hear, 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 they shouted, and kept on repeating it in chorus, seeming reluctant to follow their own advice. Bilbo left his place and went and stood on a chair under the illuminated tree. The light of the lanterns fell on his beaming face, and the golden buttons shone on his embroidered silk waistcoat. They could see, they could all see him standing, waving one hand in the air. The other was in his trouser pocket. My dear Bagginses and Boffins, he began again, and my dear Tooks and Brandybucks and Grubs and Chubs and Browses and Hornblowers and Bogglers, Brace Girdles, Good Bodies, Brock Houses and Proudfoots, Proud Feet, shouted an elderly hobbit, hobbit from the back of the pavilion. His name, of course, was Proudfoot, and well-merited. His feet were large, exceptionally furry, and both were on the table. Proudfoots, repeated Bilbo, and also my good sackful bagginses that I welcome back at last to Bag End. Today is my 111th birthday. I am 11 today. Hooray, hooray, many happy returns, they shouted, and they hammered joyously on the tables. Bilbo was doing splendidly. This was the sort of stuff they liked, short and obvious. I hope you are all enjoying yourselves as much as I am. Deafening cheers, cries of yes and no, noises of trumpets and horns, pipes and flutes, and other musical instruments. There were, as has been said, many young hobbits present. Hundreds of musical crackers had been pulled. Most of them bore the, mail, the mark Dale on them, which did not convey much to, the, much, much to most of the hobbits, but they all agreed they were marvelous, marvelous crackers. They, continued in, they contained instruments, small but of perfect make and enchanting tones. Indeed, in one corner, some of the young tucks and brandy bucks, supposing Uncle Bilbo to have finished, since he had plainly said all that was necessary, now got up an impromptu orchestra and began a merry dance tune. Master Everard Took and Miss Millie Brandybuck got on a table with their, with bells in their hands, began to dance the sprinkle ring, a pretty dance but rather vigorous. But Bubble had not finished. Seizing a horn from a youngster nearby, he blew three loud toots. The noise subsided. I shall not keep you long, he cried, cheered from all the assembly. I've called you together for a purpose. Something in the way he said this made an impression. There was almost silence, and one or two of the tooks pricked up their ears. Indeed, for three purposes. First of all, to tell you I am immensely fond of you all, and that eleven-one years is too short a time to live among such excellent and admirable habits. Tremendous outburst of approval. I don't know how well... I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. This was unexpected and rather difficult. There was some scattered clapping, but most of them returned to work it out and see if it came to a compliment. Secondly, to celebrate my birthday, cheers again, I should say our birthday, for it is, of course, also the birthday of my heir and nephew, Frodo. He comes of age and into his inheritance today. Some perfunctionary clapping by the elders, and some loud shouts of Frodo, Frodo, jolly old Frodo, from the juniors. The sackful bowels, the sackful baggins is scowled, and one wondered what was meant by coming into his inheritance. 
Together we score 144. Your numbers were chosen to fit this remarkable total. One gross, if I may use the expression, no cheers. This was ridiculous. Many of the guests, and especially Sackville Bagginses, were insulted, feeling sure they had only been asked to fill up their card number, like goods in a package. One gross indeed, vulgar expression. It is also, if I may allow to refer to ancient history, the anniversary of my arrival by Barrow at S. Gareth of the Long Lake, though the fact that it was my birthday slipped my memory on that occasion. I was only 51 then, and birthdays did not seem so important. The banquet was very splendid, however, though I had a bad cold at the time. I remember and could say, thank you very much, and now I repeat it more correctly. Thank you very much for coming to my little party. Obstinate silence. They all feared that a song or some poetry was not imminent, and they were getting bored. Why couldn't he stop talking and let them drink his health? But Bubble did not sing or recite. He paused for a moment. Thirdly and finally, he said, I wish to make an announcement. He spoke his last words so loudly and suddenly that everyone sat up who still could. I regret to announce that, though, as I said, 11-1 years is far too short a time to spend among you. This is the end. I'm going. I'm leaving now. Goodbye. He stepped down and vanished. There was a blinding flash of light, and the guests all blink. When they, when they opened their eyes, Bilbo was nowhere to be seen. 144 flabbergasted hobbits sat back speechless. Old, old, old Proudfoot removed his feet from the table and stamped. Then there was a dead silence, until suddenly, after several deep breaths, every Baggins, Boffin, Took, Brandy, Buck, Grub, Chub, Burrows, Bulger, Bracegirdle, Brockhouse, Goodbody, Hornblower, and Proudfoot began to talk at once. It was generally agreed that the joke was in very bad taste, and more food and drink were needed to cure the guests of shock and annoyance. He's mad, I always said so, was probably the most popular comment. Even the Tugs, with a few exceptions, thought Bilbo's behavior was absurd. For the moment, most of them took it for granted that his disappearance was more than a ridiculous prank. But old Rory Brandbuck was not so sure. Neither age nor enormous dinner had clouded his wits, and he said to his daughter-in-law, Esmeralda, There's something fishy in this, my dear. I believe that bad Baggins is off again, silly old fool. But why worry? He hasn't taken the vittles with him. He called loudly, loudly to Frodo to send the wine round again. Frodo was the only one present who had said nothing. For some time he sat silent beside Bilbo's empty chair and ignored all remarks and questions. He had enjoyed the joke, of course, even though he had been in the know. He had difficulty in keeping from laughter at the indigenous surprise of the guests, but at the same time he felt deeply troubled. He realized suddenly that he loved the old hobbit dearly. Most of the guests went on eating and drinking and discussing Bobo Bagginses' oddities, past and present, but the sackful Bagginses had already departed in wrath. Frodo did not want to have any more to do with the party. He gave orders for more wine to be served, then he got up and drained his own glass silently to the health of Bobo and sipped out of the pavilion, slipped out of the pavilion. As for Bobo Baggins, even while he was making his speech, he had been fingering the golden ring in his pocket, his magic ring that he had kept secret for so many years. As he stepped down, he slipped it on his finger, and he was never seen by any hobbit in Hobbiton again. 
He walked briskly back to his hole and stood for a moment, listening with a smile to the din of the pavilion to, and to the sounds of merrymaking in other parts of the field. Then he went in. He took off his party clothes, folded it up, and wrapped in tissue paper his embroidered silk waistcoat and put it away. Then he put on quickly some old untidy garments and fastened round his waist a worn leather belt. On it he hung a short sword in a battered black leather scabbard. From a locked drawer smelling of mothballs, he took out an old cloak and hood. They had been locked up as if they were pr very precious, but they were so patched and weather-stained that the original color could hardly be guessed. It might have been dark green. They were rather too large for him. He then went into his study and from a large strong box took out a bundle wrapped in old cloths and a leather-bound manuscript and also a large bulky envelope. The book and bundle he stuffed into the top of a heavy bag that was standing there already nearly full into the envelope he slipped his golden ring and its fine chain and then sealed it and addressed it to frodo at first he put it on the mantelpiece but suddenly he removed it and stuck it in his pocket at that moment the door opened and gandalf came in quickly hello said bilbo i wondered if you would turn up i'm glad to find you visible replied the wizard sitting down in a chair i wanted to catch you and have a few final words I suppose you feel that everything has gone off splendidly according to plan? Yes, I do, said Bilbo, though that flash was surprising. It quite startled me, let alone the others. A little addition of your, of, of your own, I suppose. It was. You have wisely kept that ring secret all these years, and it seemed to me necessary to give your guests something else that would seem to explain your sudden vanishment and would spoil my joke. You are an interfering old busybody, laughed Bilbo. But I expect you know best, as usual. I do, when I know anything, but I don't feel too sure about this whole affair. It has now come to the final point. You have had your joke, and alarmed or offended most of your relations, and given the whole shy or something to talk about for nine days, or ninety-nine more likely. Are you going any further? Yes, I am. I feel I need a holiday, a very long holiday, as I have told you before. Probably a permanent holiday. I don't expect I shall return. In fact, I don't mean to, and I have made all arrangements. I am old, Gandalf. I don't look it, but I am beginning to feel in my heart of hearts. Well preserved indeed, he snorted. Why, I feel all thin, sort of stretched, if you know what I mean, like butter that has been scraped over too much bread. That can't be right. I need a change or something. Gandalf looked curiously and closely at him. No, it does not seem right, he said thoughtfully. No, after all, I believe your plan is probably the best. Well, I've made up my mind anyway. I want to see the mountains again, Gandalf. Mountains. And then found somewhere where I can rest. In peace and quiet, without a lot of relatives prying around and a string of confounded visitors hanging on the bell. I might find somewhere where I can finish my book. I thought of a nice ending for it. And he lived happily ever after to the end of his days. Gandalf laughed. I hope he will, but nobody will read the book, however it ends. Oh, they may in years to come. Frodo has read some already, as far as that has gone. But keep an eye on Frodo, won't you? Yes, I will. Two eyes, as often I can spare them. He would come with me, of course, if I asked him. In fact, he offered to once, just before the party. But he does not really want to yet. I want to see the old, to see the wild country before I die, in the mountains, but he is still in love with the Shire, with woods and fields and little rivers. 
He ought to be comfortable here. I am leaving everything to him, of course, except a few oddments. I hope he will be happy when he gets used to being on his own. It's time he was his own master now. Everything, said Gandalf. The ring as well. You agreed to that, you remember? Well, um, yes, I suppose so, stammered Bilbo. Where is it? In an envelope, if you must know, said Bilbo impatiently. There on the mantelpiece. Well, no, here it is in my pocket, he hesitated. Isn't that odd now, he said to himself. Yet after all, why not? Why shouldn't it stay there? Gandalf looked again very hard at Bilbo, and there was a gleam in his eyes. I think, Bilbo, he said quietly, I should leave it behind. Don't you want to? Well, yes, and no. Now it comes to it, I don't like parting with it at all, I may say, and I don't really see why I should. Why do you want me to? he asked, and a curious change came over his voice. It was sharp with suspicion and annoyance. You were always badgering me about my ring, but you have never bothered me about the other things that I got on my journey. No, but I had to badger you, said Gandalf. I wanted the truth. It was important. Magic rings are, well, magical, and they are rare and curious. I was professionally interested in your ring, you may say, and I still am. I should like to know where it is if you go wandering again, and I think you had had it quite long enough. You won't need it any more, Bilbo, unless I am quite mistaken. Bilbo flushed, and there was an angry light in his eyes. His kindly face grew hard. Why not, he cried, and what business is it of yours anyway to know what I do with my own things? It is my own. I found it. It came to me. Yes, yes, said Gandalf, but there is no need to get angry. If I am, it is your fault, said Bilbo. It is mine, I tell you, my own, my precious, yes, my precious. The wizard's face remained grave and attentive, and only a flicker in his deep eyes showed that he was startled and indeed alarmed. It has been called that before, he said, but not by you. But I say it now, and why not? Even if Gollum said the same once, it's not his now, but mine, and I shall keep it, I say. Gandalf stood up. He spoke sternly. You will be a fool if you do. Bilbo, he said, you make that clear with every word you say. It has got far too much hold on you. Let it go, and then you can go yourself and be free. I'll do as I choose and go as I please, said Bilbo obstin obstinately. Now, now, my dear hobbit, said Gandalf, all your long life we have been friends and you owe me something. Come, do as you promised. Give it up. Well, if you want my ring yourself, say so, cried Bilbo, but you won't get it. And I give my precious away, I tell you. His hand, his hand won't get it. His hand stayed to the hilt, straight to the hilt of his small sword. Gandalf's eyes flashed. It will be my turn to get angry soon, he said. If you say that again, I shall. Then you will see Gandalf, the gray uncloaked. He took a step towards the hobbit, and he seemed to grow tall and menacing. The shadow filled the little room. Bilbo backed away to the wall, breathing hard. His hand clutched at his pocket. They stood for a while facing one another, and the air of the room tingled. Gandalf's eyes remained bent on the hobbit. Slowly his hands relaxed, and he began to tremble. I don't know what has come over you, Gandalf, he said. You have never been like this before. What is it all about? It is mine, isn't it? I found it, and Gollum would have killed me if I hadn't kept it. I'm not a thief, whatever he said. I've never called you one, Gandalf answered, and I'm not one either. I'm not trying to rob you, but to help you. I wish you would trust me as you used. He turned away, and the shadow passed. 
he seemed to dwindle again to an old gray man bent and troubled but would drew his hand over his eyes i'm sorry he said but i felt so queer and yet it would be a relief in a way not to be bothered with with bothered with it any more it had been growing on my mind lately sometimes i have felt it was like an eye looking at me and i'm always wanting to put it on and disappear don't you know or wondering if it is safe and pulling it out to make sure i tried locking it up but i found i couldn't rest without it in my pocket i don't know why and i don't seem to be able to make up my mind then trust mine said gandalf it is quite made up go away and leave it behind stop possessing it give it to frodo and i will look after him bilbo stood for a moment tense and undecided but presently he sighed all right he said with an effort i will then he shrugged his shoulders and smiled rather ruefully after all that's what this presents and somehow make it easier to give it away at the same time it hadn't it hasn't made it any easier in the end but it would be a pity to waste all my preparations it would quite spoil the joke indeed it would take away the only point i ever saw in the affair said gandalf very well said bilbo it goes to frodo with all with all the rest he drew a deep breath and now i really must be starting or somebody else will catch me i have said good-bye and i couldn't bear to do it all over again he picked up his bag and moved to the door you have still got the ring in your pocket said the wizard well so i have cried bilbo and my will and all the other documents too you had better take it and deliver it for me that will be the safest no don't give the ring to me said gandalf put it on the mantelpiece it will be safe enough there till frodo comes i shall wait for him bilbo took up bilbo took out the envelope but just as he was about to set it by the clock his hand jerked back and the packet fell on the floor before he could pick it up the wizard stooped and seized it and set it in its place a spasm of anger passed swiftly over the hobbit's face again suddenly it gave oh, gave way to a look of relief and a laugh well that's it i s well that's that he said now i'm off they went out into the hall bilbo chose his favorite stick from the stand then he whistled three dwarfs came out of different rooms where they had been ready is everything ready asked bilbo everything packed and labeled everything they answered well let's start then he stepped out of the front door it was a fine night and the black sky was dotted with stars he looked up sniffing the air what fun what fun to be off again off on the road with dwarves this was, this is what i have really been longing for for years good-bye he said looking at his old home and bowing, bowing to the door good-bye gandalf Goodbye for the present, Bilbo. Take care of yourself. You are old enough and perhaps wise enough. Take care. I don't care. Don't you worry about me. I'm as happy now as I have ever been, and that is saying a great deal. But the time has come. I am being swept off my feet at last, he added, and then in a low voice, as to himself, he sang softly in the dark. The road goes ever on and on, down from the door where it began, now far ahead the road is gone and i must follow if i can pursuing it with eager feet until it joins some larger way where many paths and errands meet and with and whither then i cannot say he paused silent for a moment then without another word he turned away from the lights and voices in the field intense and followed 
by his three companions went round into his garden and trotted down the long sloping path. He jumped over a low place in the hedge at the bottom and took to the meadows passing into the night like a rustle of wind in the grass. Gandalf remained for a while staring at, after him to the to into the darkness. Goodbye, my dear Bilbo, until our next meeting, he said softly and went back indoors. Frodo came in soon afterwards and found him sitting in the dark, deep in thought. He is gone, he asked. Yes, answered Gandalf. He is gone at last. I wish, I mean, I hoped until this evening that it was only a joke, said Frodo. But I knew in my heart that he really meant to go. He always used to joke about serious things. I wish I had come back sooner, just to see him off. I think he preferred slipping off quietly in the end, said Gandalf. Don't be too troubled. He'll be all right now. He left a packet for you. There it is. Frodo took the envelope from the mantelpiece and glanced at it, but did not open it. You'll find his will and all the other documents in there, I think, said the wizard. You're the master of Bag and now, and also, I fancy, you'll find the golden ring. The ring, exclaimed, exclaimed Frodo. He has, left that, he has left me that? I wonder why. Still, it may be useful. It may and it may not, said Gandalf. I should make use of it if I were you, but keep it secret and keep it safe. Now I'm going to bed. As Master Baggin, Frodo felt in his painful duty to say goodbye to the guest. Rumors of strange events had now been spread all over the field, but Frodo would only say no doubt everything will be cleared up in the morning. About midnight, carriages came for the important folk. One by one they rolled away, filled with full but very unsatisfied hobbits. Gardeners came by arrangement and removed in wheelbarrows those that had inadvertently remained behind. Night slowly passed, the sun rose, the hobbits rose rather later. Morning went on, people came and began by orders to clear away the pavilions and the tables and the chairs and the spoons and knives and bottles and plates and the lanterns and the flowering shrubs and the boxes and the crumbs and the cracker paper the forgotten bags and gloves and handkerchiefs and the onion food a very small item then a number of other people came without orders bagginses and boffins and bulgars and tooks and other guests that lived or were staying near by midday when even the best fed were out and about saying about again there was a large crowd at bag end uninvited but not unexpected Frodo was bending on the step, smiling, but looking rather tired and worried. He welcomed all the callers, but he had not much more to say than before. His reply to all his inquiries was simple. Mr. Bilbo Baggins had gone away, so as far as I know, for good. Some of the visitors he invited to come inside, as Bilbo had left messages for them. Inside in the hall was a pile was piled a large assortment of packages and par parcels and small articles of furniture. On every item there was a label tied. There were several labels of this sort. For Adlard took in his very own from Bilbo on an umbrella, and Aldard had carried off many unlabeled ones. For Dora Baggins, in memory of a long correspondence with love from Bilbo, on a large waste paper basket, Dora was Drago's sister and the eldest surviving female relative of Bilbo and Frodo. She was 99 and had written reams of gold advice for more than half a century. For Milo Burroughs, hoping it will be useful, from B.B., 
on a golden pen and ink bottle. Milo never answered letters. For Angelica's use from Uncle Bobo on a round convex mirror. She was a young baggins, and too obviously considered her face shapely. For the collection of Hugo Bar's girdle from a contributor on an empty bookcase. Hugo was a great borrower of books, and worse than usual at returning them. For Lobelia Sackville Baggins, a present, on a case of silver spoons, Bobo believed that she had acquired a good many of his spoons while he was away on his former journey. Lobelia knew that quite well. When she arrived later in the day, she took the points at once, but she also took the spoons. This is only a small selection of the assembled presents. Bobo's residence had got rather cluttered up with things in the course of his long life. It was a tendency of Hobbit Holes to get cluttered up, for which the custom of giving so many birthday presents was largely responsible. Not, of course, that the birthday presents were always new. They were one or two old mathems of forgotten uses that had circulated all around the district, but Bobo had usually given new presents and kept those that he received. The old hole was now being cleared a little. Every, every one of the various parting gifts had labels, written out per, personally by Bilbo, and several had some point or some joke. But of course, most of the things were given where they would be wanted and welcome. The poor hobbits, and especially those of Bagshot Row, did very well. Old Gaffer Gamgee got two stacks of potatoes, and a, a, a new spade, a woolen waistcoat, and a bottle of ointment for creaking joints. Old Rory Brandy Book, in return for much hospitality, got a dozen bottles of old vineyards, a strong red wine from the South Farthing, and now quite mature, as it had been laid down by Bilbo's father. Rory quite forgave Bilbo and voted him a capital fellow after the first bottle. There was plenty of everything left for Frodo, and of course all the chief treasures as well as the books, pictures, and more than enough furniture were left in his possession. There was, however, no sign nor mention of money or jewelry. Not a penny piece or a glass bend was given away. Frodo had a very trying time that afternoon. A false rumor that the whole household was being distributed free spread like wildfire, and before long the place was packed with people who had no business there, but could not be kept out. Labels got torn off and mixed, and quarrels broke out. Some people tried to do swaps and mix. Some people tried to do swaps and deals in the hall, and others tried to make off with minor items not addressed to them or with anything that seemed unwanted or unwatched. The road to the gate was blocked with barrels and handcarts. In the middle of the commotion, the sackful Bagginses arrived. Frodo had retired for a while and left his friend Mary Brandybuck to keep an eye on things. When Otho loudly demanded to see Frodo, Mary bowed politely. He is indisposed, he said. He is resting. Hiding, you mean, said Lobelia. Anyway, we want to see him, We are, and we mean to see him. Just go and tell him so. Mary left them a long while in the hall, and they had time to discover their parting gift of spoons. It did not improve their tempers. Eventually, they were shown into the study. Frodo was sitting at a table with a lot of papers in front of him. He looked indisposed to see Sackville Bagginses at any rate, and he stood up, fidgeting with something in his pocket. But he spoke quite politely. The sackful Bagginses were rather offensive. They began by offering him bad bargain prices, as between friends, for various valuable and unlabeled things. 
When Florida replied that only the things specially directed by Bo were being given away, they said the whole affair was very fishy. Only one thing is clear to me, said Otho, and that is that you are doing exceedingly well out of it. I insist on seeing the will. Otho would have been Bilbo's heir, but for the adoption of Frodo. He read the will carefully and snorted. It was, unfortunately, very clear and correct, according to the legal custom of hobbits, which demand, among other things, seven signatures of witnesses and red ink. Foiled again, he said to his wife, and after waiting sixty years, spoons, fiddlesticks, he snapped his fingers under Frodo's nose and stumped off. But Lobelia was not so easily to easily got rid of. A little later, Frodo came out of the study to see how things were going on, and found her still about the place, investigating nooks and corners, and tapping the floors. He escorted her firmly off the premises, after he had relieved her of several small but rather valuable articles that had somehow fallen inside her umbrella. Her face looked as if she was in the throes of thinking about a really crushing parting remark, but all she found to say, turning round the step, was, You'll live to regret it, young fellow. Why don't you go too? You don't belong here. You're no baggins. You, you're a brandy buck. Did you hear that, Mary? That was an insult, if you like, said Frodo, as he shut the door. It was a compliment, said Mary Brandybuck, and so, of course, not true. Then they went round the hole and evicted three young hobbits, two boffins and a bulger, who were knocking holes in the walls of one of the cellars. Frodo also had a tussle with a with young Sancho Proudfoot, old, old Otto Proudfoot's grandson, who had begun an excavation in the larger pantry, when he thought there was an echo. The legend of Bilbo's gold excited both curious curiosity and hope for legendary gold, mysteriously obtained, if not polite, positively ill-gotten, is in everyone's, everyone knows, anyone's for the finding, unless the search is interrupted. When he had overcome Sancho and pushed him out, Frodo collapsed on a chair in the hall. It's time to close shop, Mary, he said. Lock the door and don't open it to anyone, not even if they bring a battering ram. Then he went to revive himself with a belated cup of tea. He had hardly sat down when there came a soft knock at the front door. Lobelia again, most likely, he thought. She must have thought something really nasty and have come back to say it. It can wait. He went on with his tea. The knock was repeated, much louder, but he took no notice. Suddenly, the wizard's head appeared at the window. If you don't let me in, Frodo, I shall blow your door right down your hole and let and out through the hill, he said. My dear Gandalf, half, half a minute, cried Frodo, running out of the room to the door. Come in, come in. I thought it was Lobelia. Then I forgive you, but I saw her some time ago, driving a pony trap towards Bywater with a face that would have curdled new milk. She has already curdled me. Honestly, I nearly tried on Bobo's ring. I longed to disappear. Don't do that, said Gandalf, sitting down. Do be careful of that ring, Frodo. In fact, it is probably about that that I have come to say a last word. Well, what about it? What do you know already? Only that, only what Bilbo told me. I have heard his story, how he found it, and how he used it. On his journey, I mean. Which story, I wonder, said Gandalf. Oh, not what he told the dwarves and put in his book, said Frodo. He told me the true story after I came to live here. He said you had pestered him to 
pestered him till he told you, so I'd better know too. No secrets between us, Frodo, he said. But there are not but they are not to go any further. It's mine anyway. That's interesting, said Gandalf. Well what did you think of it all? If you mean inventing all that about a present, well I thought the true story much more likely, and I couldn't see the point of altering it at all. It was very unlike Bilbo to do so, anyway, and I thought it rather odd. So did I. But odd things may happen to people that have such treasures, if they use them. Let it be a warning to you to be very careful with it. It may have other powers than just making you vanish when you wish to. I don't understand, said Frodo. Neither do I, answered the wizard. I have really begun to wonder about the ring, especially since last night. No need to worry, but if you take my advice, you will use it very seldom or not at all. At least I beg you to not use it in any way that will cause, talk, or ruse suspicion. I say again, keep it safe and keep it secret. You are very mysterious. What are you afraid of? I am not certain, so I will say no more. I may be able to tell you something when I come back. I am going off at once, so this is goodbye for the present. He got up. At once, cried Frodo. Why, I thought you were staying on for at least a week. I was looking forward to your help. I did mean to, but I have had to change my mind. I may be away for a good while, but I'll come and see you again as soon as I can. Expect me when you see me. I shall slip, slip in quietly. I shan't often be visiting the Shire openly again. I find that I have become rather unpopular. They say I am a nuisance and a disturber of peace. Some people are actually accusing me of spiriting Bilbo away, or worse. If you want to know, there is supposed to be a plot between you and me to get hold of his wealth. Some people, exclaimed Frodo. You mean Otho and Nobelium. How abominable. I would give them bag end and everything else if I could get Bilbo back and go off tramping in the country with him. I left the Shire, but I began to wish somehow that I had gone to. I wonder if I shall ever see him again. So do I, said Gandalf. And I wonder many other things. Goodbye now. Take care of yourself. Look out for me, especially at unlikely times. Goodbye. Frodo saw him to the door. He gave a final wave of his hand and walked off at a surprising pace. For Frodo thought the old wizard looked unusually bent, almost as if he was carrying a great weight. The evening was closing in, and his cloaked figure quickly vanished into the twilight. Frodo did not see him again for a long time.